Okay, today I'm going to... You're not going to be able to hear me any louder than you ever did before because I'm only recording this on a recorder. Uh, the thing about it is I've had several people ask me for tapes on the messages that we've taught, and I've never had them up till now on these services. So I thought, well, today I would see how this worked. I will bring my microphone and, and my little uh, recorder and everything, and I'll record this and see how it works. Uh, I went down to Palestine the other day, and uh, they recorded uh, the uh, audio, and uh, uh, Walter gave me a copy of the two tapes, uh, and I listened to a little of them last night when I got in, and uh, I thought, gee, that's some pretty powerful stuff that old boy's talking about there. <laughs> wonder who he is. So, you know, you don't really what, know what you sound like until you listen to your own tapes. But uh, I thought, wow, uh, that's, that's amazing. It's God's Word. That's what it is, isn't it? It's the anointing on the Word. It's just wonderful what God does. So I just <clears throat> I praise Him and thank Him for the privilege to preach His Word, to teach His Word, and to see Him do the great and mighty things He does. Today, uh, there was two different areas I was, had in my mind and my heart that I wanted to speak on today. But on the way down here, uh, the Lord really laid on my heart. He wanted me to teach a little bit more on praise. You know, so today we're going to talk about praise. I've come to realize that praise is the most powerful thing you can do. Worship in praise. If you don't worship in praise the King, he'll do very little for you. You know, when you think about in heaven, uh, as you think about the scenes that were shown in the book of Revelation... There is angels that are given the chore of all they're doing is worshiping and praising the king. Isn't that something? And they're worshiping and they're praising. And so if this is a uh, phenomenon that's laid out in the Word of God for us, that in heaven they're continually worshiping and praising the king, then by all means I think he's trying to show us something what we should do. You know, so I've come to realize that the more I worship and the more I praise the Lord, the greater and more powerful become the miracles. So praise and worship has a whole lot to do with it. When I wake up in the morning, I started a long time ago, I would wake up in the morning and maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, and I now know it was the Lord, He would wake me up. I might not go to bed till midnight or maybe 1 o'clock. But an hour or two later, the Lord would wake me up, and I would catch myself laying there, worshiping and praising Him, laying there in bed with my hands raised. My wife's laying there sound asleep beside me, and I'm praising the Lord. You know, and I praise Him and talk to Him a little while, and uh, maybe an hour or an hour and a half, and then I go back to sleep, and uh, 6 o'clock or 6.30, my, uh, my alarm in my head goes off, and it's time to get up and go to work. And how I could do that, my wife could never understand that how I could sleep so little and yet be so energetic. But the Lord gives his saints peaceful sleep, you know, and when he gives you the sleep that you do get, if you spend that time worshiping and praising him, it seems to work better than anything else you can do. I know lots of people that go home and have to take tranquilizers and all kinds of things and can't sleep. But uh, that's never been my problem, you know. I, uh, when I do sleep, what little I do sleep, well, it sure is peaceful sleep. And it pays great dividends to worship and praise the King. So let's come to the Lord. Father, we praise you and thank you for this beautiful day that you have made. 
Lord, I thank you for the abundance of all things that you've given us. I thank you, Lord, that I just, I just thank you, Lord, for the beauty of the morning. When you wake up in the morning, the beautiful sun that come up. I thank you for the beautiful clouds and the colors and the things that you put in the uh, cosmos out there for us to look at. I thank you for the beautiful rain that we've had this last week. I worship you, Lord, and praise you and thank you for the abundance of all things that you've given us. I thank you, Lord, that you love us and that it, you told us to walk holy before you and you'd pour out your blessings upon us. But, Father, as your kids, I ask you to help me today to convey to the people what we need to do to walk holy before you and to walk in praise and worship. Lord, I just praise you and thank you for this beautiful, wonderful day and for all these people that came out here today to hear your word. And I praise you and I ask you to do great and mighty things with your word today. And I thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now then, uh, before we get started today, uh, I don't know if this lady back here, would you like to come up here and tell us what the Lord did for you in Palestine? Would you do that? Come up here and let me put this on tape. And I just, uh, you shared something with me back there a while ago. I would just like for you to tell everybody uh, what the Lord uh, has done for you. I've been telling everybody that I've seen. So uh, when Thurman came to Palestine uh, a couple weeks ago um, and began to teach the Word, the Lord just gave me a revelation in that Word and broke my heart for my unbelief. And uh, I was pretty wet by the time, well, probably for a whole hour, I just was weeping. My heart was broken. And I told Thurman, he didn't tell me anything that I had not heard before. Uh, I've been a student of the Word for a long time, but I had been uh, struggling with a pinched nerve in my back. And uh, I just, you know, had I've never had any sickness or anything wrong with me. And it was like, you know, it was, it was hard. And it had been going on for a long time. So at the uh, end of the teaching... Um, one lady beat me up there first. She got there first. But when Thurman said, does anybody want prayer? Well, I did. And uh, the other lady got there first. But then uh, I told Thurman, I said, I have to repent for unbelief because my heart was broken that I had not had that revelation of faith that I had already been healed. But God was certainly merciful to me and sent a messenger and... Um, so I told Thurman that I had had a pinched nerve in my back, and after I repented, I, he prayed for me, and I'm healed. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Praise Amen. God is good. Thank you. Isn't the Lord good? But stop and think now. He honors his word, but remember now, he is a faith God. You know, if you don't believe he can do these things with no doubt in your heart, he will not do them. You know, it's just not something that's automatic. That's where we've missed it in the church. We really, we just think that because we're God's kids and he loves us, he'll just do it. But until you repent from your unbelief and then believe it is done because it's written in the word, you can't get things from the Lord. Isn't that wonderful to hear the Lord do these wonderful things? I just love it. I love it. I love it. I love to see God do these wonderful things for his kids. But thank these things were available for us all the time. This morning, as we're in 
church, as I was in church earlier this morning, uh, there was a, a pastor, uh, Jason, he was preaching, and he was uh, teaching in the book of Acts about the Holy Spirit. Well, I thought, how unique. We talked about that last Sunday. So he was teaching about the Holy Spirit, and he was talking about some of the things that happened to those men and women that received the Holy Spirit. And he said, but you know, one thing you don't see happen anymore today, when's the last time you saw somebody raised from the dead? And I wanted to jump up and say, not very long ago. <laughs> and I thought, well, I better not do that in church. So I waited till church was over. And as I was talking, I started to leave. I really didn't have time to talk with him this morning, but I started to leave. And there was a lady uh, captured me, and she said, Thurman, uh, you're an awesome prayer warrior. I want to give you my son's name, and I want you to do some praying for him. And I thought, okay, I'll be happy to. So while I was standing there talking with her, she said, well, tell me how that my faith walk had so inspired her, and she wanted to talk about that a little while. Well, as we talked about her son, I got ready to leave, and the pastor walked up, and I said, oh, by the way, brother, I wasn't going to tell you this, but you made a comment up there about when's the last time you saw somebody raised from the dead? And uh, I said, have you ever seen one raised from the dead? He said, absolutely not. I said, well, about four years ago, a man called me in the wee hours of the morning and said, Thurman, I thought I'd let you know that Otho Wayne Jackson had a massive heart attack tonight and we've lost him. He's, we've, he's a, this guy was a paramedic that called me. He was his son-in-law, and he knew this man worked for me, had for 20-plus years. He said, uh, we lost Bo with a massive heart attack. We haven't had a heartbeat or a pulse in over 20 minutes, so he's gone. So we've shock-treated him. We've done everything, and nothing has worked. So I thought I'd just call you and tell you that Bo is dead. I said, let's pray. He said, Thurman, it's too late to pray. He's dead. I said, it's never too late to pray. I said, then I will pray. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of death that has hit Bo Jackson, and I command in the name of Jesus for the spirit of life to come back in him in Jesus' name. He says, my lands, I've got a heartbeat. He's breathing again. And I, he said, I'm going to take him to the hospital in Irving. I said, okay. I said, I'll get up and come on down there. So I got up in about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I got up and put my clothes on, and I drove all the way from where I live in Justin down to the hospital in Irving, and I finally found the place, and I got in there 4 or 5 o'clock that morning and walked in, and I said, well, Doc, I said, how is Bo Jackson? He said, well, he was dead for 20 minutes, the paramedics say, and said, he's breathing. But said, we don't understand how come, and said, if the man recovers, since he had no oxygen to his brain for 20 minutes, he'll be a vegetable. He won't, might have been better if he'd have went ahead and died. So I held out my hands, and I said, you see those hands? He said, well, sure. I said, the healing power of Jesus is in those hands. I said, Jesus told me in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, to lay hands on the sick, and he said they'd recover. He didn't say they'd be a vegetable. And he kind of looked at me, and... I said, where is he? And he said, he's right in there. And I said, okay. So I went in there and laid my hands on him and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. I said, thank you, Lord, for your word. It's forever settled in heaven. It's done. A few weeks later, Bo Jackson was back on the job working out there, and he worked for me until September two years ago, September the 30th. He retired, and he come by the other day and had lunch with me, and he's still doing just the best in the world. Now then... 
I mean, what did the Lord tell us to do? He said, go out and heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and raise the dead. And so it just comes to show that we don't believe God. Well, yesterday a man also showed me a video that was on Daystar about the 30th of November this year. Some of you may have seen that if you watch Daystar. But the 30th of November of this last year, just a few months ago, there was a pastor's wife in Africa. You, you see that? And, and the, the pastor died, and his wife said, the fact the mortician had, had him and everything, they had already prepared the body, they'd put him in a casket, got him ready for burial, everything, and his wife wouldn't let him bury him. She said, I'm going to take him down to where Reinhard Bunke's preaching, and there's such an anointing when he preaches the God life that we serve will raise him from the dead. Now, what did the Lord say? According to your faith, be it done unto you. So that pastor's wife tucked that man down. He'd been dead three days. They took him down in a hearse, and he had already, the mortician had already prepared his body, done all the stuff they do, and she still wasn't going to let them bury him. And they got him down there, and while he's preaching, they get him down there in a hearse, in a casket, take the casket, take his body out of the casket and take it out into the cellar right under the main sanctuary where Reinhardt Bunke's preaching the Word of God. They laid him on a table. He's totally stiff. And when Reinhardt Bunke began to pray for people, the power of God came through that floor down in there, and that man began to stir, and that man is preaching the gospel today, alive and well. Three days. Do what, honey? I don't remember what that was either. I, I, I was watching that while I was trying to get ready for a healing school yesterday, and it was kind of something, but I would love to have that you know, that whole thing, and sit down and look at it again. But all I do know, that the king that we serve did tell us he gave us this kind of power. It's just unfortunate that most of us don't believe him. And if we don't believe him, most of us can't believe God for a pinched nerve. <laughs> I just had to throw that in. But I'm serious, you know. Here we are, born-again Christians. Read the Word, we know the promises, and we go through life with the devil beating up on us, and God made us the promises. So when you, when you get to where you believe this book, really believe this book, you start acting on the Word, and it changes your life forever. And, and you don't never bring your wife to church in the morning, she's got a rejection demon with her no more, right? <laughs> she comes in, she's praising the king. She says, I'm, I'm royalty. I'm a daughter of the king. She's smiling from ear to ear. When you learn who you are, the rejection demons don't have no authority over you, do they, Carolyn? Praise God. I love it, folks. I love it. Well, today in Psalms 34 is where I'm going to start out today, in Psalms 34. So there's two risings from the dead that you've heard about, you know, in the last uh, few years. Uh, the one that, uh, I mean, I don't know why I had the faith that night to do that, uh, but I did. And uh, Bo Jackson's still alive and well today, but yet he had been dead over 20 minutes. But why do you have faith to do anything? You do it because the Lord prompts you to do it. You go and pray for the sick. You go and pray for the lost. You go and cast out demons, and you change people's lives in the name of Jesus. The Jesus that we serve, or at least the one I serve, he gave me and you power over the forces of darkness. 
And so when you begin to believe this book like it's written, now that we're going to talk about praise, in Psalms 34, the Lord says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be in my mouth. I want you to take that and think about that, what he just said. I will bless the Lord at all times. Not on Sunday afternoon between 2 and 4. Not on Sunday morning during the first 30 minutes of worship service. Not on the Saturday night or some kind of special class. But I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I am completely convinced since I've learned these things, the reason the Lord does so many mighty miracles for me in my workplace where I work, I mean miracles, many of them, many, I am completely convinced because when I work, walk in my workplace, the first thing I do when I walk up to the guard shack outside to show my ID to get in, I say, good morning, praise the Lord, how are you doing this morning? And then I go on inside when I walk into the workplace, as soon as I walk in the door, there's people all over the place. And I look over and I say, good morning, praise the Lord. How are you all doing this morning? Good morning, praise the Lord. I walk through the whole place just like that every morning. Good morning, praise the Lord. And of course, when people see me coming in, good morning, Thurman. Good morning, sir. Praise the Lord. How are you doing this morning? And just how many other people in that place they do that too? None. Nobody else. wonder why. Because I'm the only one that does that. Of course, when I walk through... I start through here, and here's a precious little Spanish lady that's standing right here, you know, at her table. And when I say praise the Lord, man, she's already praising the Lord. You know why she's praising the Lord? Because about four years ago, a man walked into my office and said, Thurman, there's a little Spanish lady out there that's been diagnosed with cancer. I told her, if you'd come in here and let you pray for her, that Jesus would heal her. Well, this little lady walked in my office the next day. actually didn't walk in my office. She stopped me on the floor as I walked by her workstation. She said, sir, would you come over here? I said, certainly, ma'am. I walked over there, and she reached down under her work table and pulled a book out from there and opened a box, and it had a Bible in it. She said, they tell me, you can tell me where to read in this book. I said, yes, ma'am, I certainly can. She said, I get off work at 1130 this morning. Can I come by your office? I said, yes, ma'am, I'll be there at that time. This little lady walked in. She handed me this Spanish Bible. Of course, I can read enough Spanish, you know, a little bit, so I can tell where we're at. So I turned over. I asked her, I said, are you a Christian? She said, I don't understand. So I turned in her Spanish Bible to Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10, and I said, read those scriptures right there. And she read those, and then I said, have you done that? She said, no. I said, would you like to invite Jesus Christ into your heart right now to be your Lord and Savior? She said, yes. So I reached over and laid my hand on her arm, led her in a prayer, and got her saved. Now then, that word in the Scripture there in Romans 10, 8, 9, and 10, it says that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe with your heart that the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved the word in the Greek is sozo. So the word in the Greek means sozo. It says you will be saved, you will be healed, you will be delivered, you will be preserved, you will be made whole. Now, see, the Lord knew all those things, and I knew those things. So I didn't even know she was the one that had cancer. I didn't know that. The man had told me there was a little Spanish lady out there that had cancer, and he was going to send her to me, but I didn't know it was this one. 
But that morning when I led her to Christ and laid hands on her, guess what the Lord did for her? A week later, she comes screaming back in my office, Mr. Scrivener, it happened just like Neil told me. He said if I would come in your office and you would pray for me, Jesus would heal me. She said, I've been to the doctor and my cancer is completely gone. I mean, isn't God awesome? All I did was laid hands on her and led her to Christ. But when I led her to Jesus, the Lord healed her of cancer. That's been four or four and a half years ago. And when I walk through the workplace, when I walk in the door, if she sees me first, guess what she says? Praise the Lord. That's right, Walter. Praise the Lord. When you got something like that from the king, you could praise him real easy, right? It's not hard to worship and praise the king. So, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Now, what are we supposed to boast about? How good you are at your job? What you can do? No, what are we supposed to boast in? The Lord. So, whatever you do, boast in the Lord. And give him all the glory and the credit for everything he does for you. Whenever he does something, somebody comes and said, Man, I heard you healed that woman. I said, Man, I didn't have a thing to do with it. What do you mean you didn't? They said, You did it. I said, No, Jesus did it. I just got to watch him. Praise the Lord. Jesus is a healer, not you. So don't you ever start taking credit. You start If you boast, you make sure you boast in the Lord. You can boast in the Lord for your mother, right, Carolyn? You can praise him because, you know, she was going to die and now she's well. So... My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I mean, you know, when we really take those scriptures literally, we should do that. We should magnify the Lord. You know, we should exalt his name. It says there, And I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Now then, if you've got fears, where does fear come from? The devil. Absolutely right. How do you get a spirit of fear? Anybody have any idea what you, how, you, how one of these things comes into you? Let me tell you what. You know the Lord made a statement over in the book of Ephesians. He said, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. Anybody ever read that scripture? Why do you think the Lord told you not to do that? That's right, because if you do that, you provoke your children to anger, then a spirit of anger comes into them. Now then, let's say that you hide behind the door and your little four-year-old girl comes running around and you jump out and scare the fool out of her. What do you do? You open that little girl wide open to receive a spirit of fear. How many people have done those kind of crazy things to their kids not realizing what they were doing? Of course, years ago, when my little daughter was three years old and my son was five years old, we went. I was down on my farm, and it was in the spring, and I was moving some uh, C-channel steel to build a building out of, and I was down there loading this steel on a trailer, and I'm reaching down, picking up these pieces of C-steel and laying them up, and my son and my daughter standing over there about ten steps out of the way. I reached down and picked up one of these C-channels that's laying flat on the ground. The C's on the ground, so there's a cavity under there, not dreaming that there's a big snake under there. When I reached down and picked that up right at my feet, as I picked that big 20-foot beam up and held it up, I heard my daughter scream, and I turned to look, and right at my feet was about a four- or five-foot-long snake just flopping around all over the place. And, of course, when I saw him, of course, I back up a step, and when I do, that snake sees me, 
and he starts to run away from me because he's more scared of me, you know, because we have dominion over them things. They do everything they can to get away from you. We try to hurt ourselves getting away from them when technically they're trying to hurt themselves to get away from us because we've been given dominion over them. But that snake in his fright ran straight toward my two kids. Now, as he started running toward his little three-year-old daughter, guess what that little girl did? She went into a panic. Well, when she did, I took that big beam and I done like that and I hit and I hit just about this far back from the snake's head and pinned him to the ground. When I pinned him, of course, he's flopping both ways. My little daughter is screaming her head off. I worked my way down that beam, get that snake by the tail, and I said, Amanda, honey, would you please be quiet? Daddy has the situation well in hand. Now, the difference between a boy and a girl. Tim's standing right there, just as quiet. He ain't said a word. He said, Daddy, that's what I call really having the situation in your hand. <laughs> At five years of age. That's just what he said. I'll never forget that. I had that snake in my hand. Well, I took the beam off of the snake. I popped him back and popped his neck and killed him and throwed him off out there. And, of course, he's flopping around. And when they, as soon as I did that, Amanda come running at me. I reached down to get her, and she literally climbed me like a tree, and she didn't stop until her legs was around my neck, and she was clawing. I mean, she was fearful. Well, I didn't realize what happened right there. When the Word of God says your enemies are swarming around you like bees waiting to enter you, I didn't have a clue what just happened. But my little three-year-old girl got a spirit of fear right there. But I didn't know it. But from that day forth, she was fearful of everything. I mean, she would not stay with my mother and dad. She would not stay with my wife's mother and dad. She would not go by herself. She had to be with mother and dad. She wouldn't go outside to feed the cat when she got 10, 12 years old. I said, honey, go outside and feed the cat. I forgot to feed him tonight. Oh, daddy, you got to go with me. I said, honey, turn the light back porch light. I ain't going out there, daddy, unless you go with me. That's how afraid she was. Well, when she was 15 years old, my wife come down one night about 12.30 in the morning and said, Honey, you got to go upstairs and see what's wrong with Amanda. I said, What do you mean? She woke me up. I'd just gone to bed. I, she said, I can't get her to sleep. She's sitting up in the middle of bed crying her eyes out. So I get up, put my house coat on, I go upstairs, walk in the room, and I said, Honey, what's wrong with you? She said, Daddy, I feel like if I died tonight, I'd go to hell to be with the devil. I said, honey, when you were six and a half years old, you acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I said, did you really mean that? She said, I most definitely did. I said, all right, then case closed. You're born again. Well, she said, Daddy, I have this fear. When she said that, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart just as clear, and he said, your daughter has a spirit of fear. Go over there and cast it out in my name. I went down over there and sat down on the bed beside her and grabbed her by the shoulders, and I said, You foul spirit of fear, I command you to come out of Amanda and go to the pit of hell, and I seal you there in the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. I said, Now, Father, I ask you to put a spirit of love, joy, and peace in my daughter in Jesus' name. And that girl went from crying her eyes out to hilariously laughing almost instantly. We sat there on that bed for the next 10 or 15 or 20 minutes and worshiped and praised and laughed, and she finally laid down there with a smile on her face, after 1 o'clock in the morning, went to bed. The next morning at 6 o'clock, she come bouncing down the stairs on the way to catch the bus. And I mean, she was smiling like she hadn't smiled ever. She was on fire. And about a year later, she got her driver's license, and I bought her a car. And my wife come in one night, and she said, Honey, I wish you'd have left a little of that fear in her. I said, What do you mean? 
She said, I pulled up on Walmart or Kmart or whatever with parking lot over in Denton the other day, and she's parked way out on the far edge out there, and she's walking across, and I happen to be there, and I pull in, and I see her. I pull over, and I said, Amanda, why didn't you park a little closer? Why did you park so far out there? She said, Mama, the Lord's with me. I'm not afraid of nothing. What made the difference in that girl's life? A daddy that understood spiritual things that cast a demon out of his daughter. Now, I'm going to tell you that's our problems in life, demons. The Lord has allowed me to see many things in the realm of the demonic world to teach me how to get people set free. I mean, of course, when you've been there and done this yourself, it's a whole easier for you to teach it than if you have never experienced it. You know, the first time I went out there to fly a DC-8 airplane, and I had never been in the cockpit of one, and they took me up inside of a DC-8 and said, this is what you're going to be flying. Okay. Maybe we better have a class on this first, right? You know, I mean, I think, I mean, you know, I'm, yeah, I can fly airplanes. I've been lots of school, but I ain't never been to a school on a DC-8. Okay, so we go back to the classroom, and after three weeks, I learn all these systems in this airplane. Now I go out there, and we get ready to start flying this beast, but they don't just hand it to me and say, there it is, go for it. They give me a training instructor and say, yeah, we know you're a licensed pilot and a, and a certified engineer and all these other things, but... We're still going to take a certified pilot, and he's going to fly with you until you get this thing down pat. And so, a few days later, I could fly that beast anywhere in the world, go anywhere I wanted to, do anything I wanted to. What made the difference? Training. Training. You can't go beyond knowledge. So people pick up this book with no knowledge, never read it, don't know what it says, never worships, never prays, never do anything, and the devil comes up on you to beat up on you, and you wonder why your world is falling apart and going into the pit of hell in a handbasket, and it's all because you don't know what the Word says. But the first place to start is right here what the psalm says. Worship the Lord. Praise Him. It says in verse 6, The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. How many of your troubles did the Lord save you out of? All of them. So let's get used to saying that. He saves me out of all my troubles. He heals all of my diseases. The, and look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamped around about them that fear him and delivered them. So what's that trying to tell you? If you don't serve God, you don't reverence him, guess who's not encamped around you? The angels are not encamped around you. The angels hearken to the word of God. If you've got angels that are around you, and they've been sent to protect you because you do reverence and fear the Lord, and you're walking holy before Him, and you come up beside somebody, and somebody says something to you, and a foul word comes out of your mouth. Or if you take Jesus' name in vain, loosely. I mean, people you know that are Christians, somebody says something, Oh, God. You ever heard people say that? Yeah. Oh, God. Did you mean that? Reverently, or were you kind of using that loosely? Because if you were u using that loosely, you just profane the name of our Lord. Now then, people say, well, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And you walk up to somebody else, and the guy says, oh, I just mashed my finger. Oh, Jesus Christ. Two entirely different things. One of you used it reverently. One of you profaned the name of the Lord. So when you profane the name of the Lord... Guess what the angels that are around you do? They leave. They ain't going to listen to you profane the name of the Lord. 
Now, if you're speaking the name of Jesus or God the Father in a reverent way, and you're reverencing the Lord, you're fearing Him, where are your angels? They're around you. And what are they protecting you from? The forces of darkness. That swarm of bees, that swarm of demons that are flying around you, waiting to get in you. They are protecting you. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you don't have those angels watching over you and protecting you, send you in big trouble. You know it, girl? So we want them close, right? Yes, we want them close. Just to give you an idea of what you can do, in Matthew 26, 53, Jesus himself made a statement whenever the men came to get him. He said, Do you not know that I could ask my father for twelve legions of angels and he would send them immediately? Now then, what was he, how, how was he going to get an angel or twelve legions? Ask the father. Now then, if Jesus could ask the father for twelve legions of angels, and I believe that is in Matthew twenty six fifty three. I think that's where that is. Is that right? Okay, I think that's right. Some, you always want to check me out because sometimes I do make mistakes. I don't want to make any, but sometimes I do. So anyway, if Jesus could call for twelve legions of angels, if your angels are encamped around you but you need some extra ones sometime for some help, how do you think? Or do you think it's possible for you to call an angel into existence to help you? You think so? Then how could you do that? If Jesus could do that, do you know a scripture in the Word of God that says that anything Jesus could do that you could do? Yes, you do. Praise God. All right. One of the scriptures you can find is John fourteen twelve. Jesus clearly tells you in John fourteen twelve. He said, and I tell you the truth, anybody that believes in me, you, not only can you do what I have been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. Now, is that an awesome promise that our king made us? Okay. If the king made us that promise, then if he called, asked the Father in the name of Jesus for twelve legions of angels, then if I run into a little boy that's having nightmares and these demons are coming and giving him nightmares and causing him to think that somebody's coming to kill him every time he closes his eyes in sleep, guess who's tormenting that little guy? The devil. God's not sending a dream like that, is he? That's the demons, the demons of hell. So by knowing that scripture, I can walk into this little boy's room in the hospital, and he tell me this, this little seven-year-old boy, and I can make sure that his sins are all confessed. He was a born-again Christian and his mother's sins were confessed, then I asked the Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus to send me two warring angels, just two. That's all I need. And I said, now, guys, I want one of you angels to stand on this side of this boy's bed and the other one to stand on this side of this boy's bed. And I want you to keep all evil spirits away from this boy. And I said, you demons of hell that have already entered him to give him these, tor- these n- nightmares, I command you to come out of him and go to the pit of hell and stay there forever in Jesus' name. I said, now, Father, as you sent these angels, and I said, angels, you guys are to watch over this boy and not let a single demon of no kind in this room. I said, now, thank you, Father, for sending these two warring angels. I said, thank you, angels, for hearkening to the Word of God. I said, now, son, I guarantee you won't have no more nightmares in Jesus' name. And a week later, when his grandmother saw me down in the cafeteria, she came and grabbed me and hugged me and said, Thurman, praise God. 
since the day you come up and did what you did, our, my grandson has not had one single nightmare. Now, how much power did the Lord give us over demons? All. So why don't we start walking holy and worshiping and praising him? Because if we're worshiping and praising him and reverencing his name, where are our angels encamped around us? Can you think of a better place to be, brother, than to have a bunch of angels encamped around you? I mean, you know, I don't probably need over about 10 or 15 to protect me because I think about what I read in the Bible one time where that when Syria came against Israel, there was one angel came and there was 185,000 Syrian soldiers out there. And the next morning when he got through, there was not a single soldier alive. So with 185,000 Syrians killed by one angel, you and me probably don't need over 10 or 15, right? That ought to be sufficient to take care of us. But, you know, we don't realize the power of these guys. And they're around you. I mean, all you got to do is reverence God and praise Him and worship Him, and they're there. So why should you go through life fearful? That's all coming from the enemy. Don't fear nothing, right, Jan? Don't fear nothing. Worship and praise the King. Because the Lord says that if we fear Him, uh, uh, the angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear Him and delivers them. Now, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Now, you know, we read those kind of scriptures, but we don't trust in him, do we? Uh, but when we do trust in him, what does he do? Woo! I mean, isn't it wonderful? When you repent, it, 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 I mean, I don't know about you, but a pinched nerve, it's a whole lot better not to have it, right? Right? Okay. We'll all agree with that. Praise God. Isn't it amazing how your God loves you just as much then as he does now? But he lets you have that thing all that time. Isn't that, isn't that awesome to think what he allows us to suffer because we will not come to him in total belief and say, Lord, here it is in your word. You made me the promise. So, Lord, I thank you for answering this prayer and doing this. You said, whatever I desire when I pray, believe I have received it and it shall be mine. And you wrote that for me in Mark eleven twenty four. So, Lord, I desire to not have a pinched nerve no more. So I ask you to restore that thing and make it work perfect so I don't have no pain. And I just want to praise you and thank you, Lord. It's done because it's written in your word. And then go and begin to worship him and praise him. Even as you walk out the door, if the devil grabs you in the back and says, I'm going to show you this don't work and puts you down on your knees, you have to crawl out on your knees. You say, Lord, I praise you and thank you. It's done because it's written in your word. And as you start praising the Lord, the devil says, well, we lost this girl. We might as well leave. And when they leave, the nerve pinch is gone. And you get to receive the benefits. Praise God. That's all I can say. It's so awesome. Now then, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear God. No want. No lack. So all we've got to do is worship and praise the Lord and believe in him. And we're going to get that nice house we want. And we're going to get that piece of land out there with a horse. We're going to get all the things we need. That's a private uh, deal, so the rest of y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but there's a couple in here that do. <laughs> the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. The young lions do lack. Who, who do you think those young lions that are out there to rip you apart are? You ever stop to think about that? The young lions. Maybe he's talking about the devil and his demons, reckon. Because if you're doing everything God says, they ain't going to be able to get you. They ain't going to be able to get fat on you, are they? 
Come, ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Now then, do you desire that? I mean, evidently some people don't. You know, you, you bring a man in and you say, uh, he comes in and says, I, I need you to pray for me a job. I said, what do you want? Any kind of a job. I mean, any kind of a job? Yeah, I just need a job. Okay, you're going to find out if he's telling the truth or lying. So you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, give this man a job down at McDonald's flipping hamburgers for four fifty an hour. He says, no, that's not what I wanted at all. I said, well, now, wait a minute. You said you wanted a job. Well, that's not what I meant. I said, oh, okay, well, now, how do you think God's going to know what you want? You know, you said just give me a job, so if he gives you a job at McDonald's for four fifty an hour, then what are you going to do, grumble? You ask him for a job, so why don't you ask him for what you want? He is a very precise God of faith. I learned that one night when I was down in Granbury, Texas, and many years ago, I had a little uh, 71 Toyota, and this must have been about 78 or 79. I bought this little thing brand new, and my wife and I and kids was going home uh, to grandmother's one night and granddad's, and we got down to Granbury and pulled right into the, through the center of town, and my little car stopped running. And I pulled off into a uh, little parking, a little uh, uh, shopping mall area there with some street lights. and had just a few tools, and I got out, and I tucked the gas line off, and I said, Honey, spin the starter over, and she did, and no gas come out. I said, Oh, shoot, here I am down here in Granbury on a Friday night at 9 o'clock in a foreign car with no parts houses open. I said, I am dead in the water. What am I going to do? And the Lord spoke to my spirit just as clear, and he said, Son, I told you to ask anything in my name, and I'll do it for you. I said, Lord, that's right, you did. I just put that gas line back in that car. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, will you provide enough gas for this car to run 50 miles an hour until I get my wife and my kids home, and tomorrow I'll fix this car. I said, thank you, Lord, it's done. Now, this is where you find out, do you believe God or not? Okay, so I screwed the gas line back in. I put the air cleaner back on. I slammed the hood. I turned around. There was a payphone right there. I picked it up. And I said, Mom, we're having just a little bit of car trouble, but everything's under control now. We're going to be just a few minutes late, but we're going to be there. She said, Son, are you sure? I said, I'm positive. Everything's fine. I put my tools back, shut the trunk, walked in, got under the seat, sat down, reached for the key. My wife said, What are we going to do? I said, We're going home. She said, I thought you said the fuel pump don't work. I said, It don't. But I reached over and hit the starter, and it started. Well, you talk about the devil hitting me. I mean, he, you, you, don't, you don't think God is going to pump gas. This car ain't going to run. I said, oh, yes, it is. I mean, my wife must have thought I'm crazy. I'm carrying on a one-sided conversation. And she said, no, we're listening, and the kids are in the back seat listening. They don't know what's going on. And so I'm carrying on a conversation with the devil, and I said, I'm going home. This car's going to run perfect. My wife's sitting over thinking, what is wrong with this guy? We get out on the highway. And 35 miles an hour along our little ways, we get out the edge of town. Speed limit goes up to 55. I push her down, and it runs up to 50. 50 miles an hour, and that little 71 Toyota was right straight up on the speedometer. I run 50 miles an hour, and I put it on the floorboard, and it run 50. And I thought, that's strange. It's running perfect, but it won't run over 50. But I said, okay. And I get to a hill, and I top that hill at 50. Now, as an engineer... That understands how mechanical things work. When I thought, well, I'll pick up some speed on the other side. So when I went down the hill on the other side, I got to the bottom, still doing 50. I thought, now, wait a minute, Lord. This don't make no sense at all. It takes more gas to go uphill at 50 
than it does to go downhill at 50. I can nearly coast, but 50 is all it'll run. Then I thought, that's what I asked for. I asked for enough gas to run 50 miles an hour, and I believed God with no doubt in my heart. I drove that car for two hours, worshiping and praising the Lord. In a little while, my wife caught on to it. And me and her's worshiping and praising the Lord, knowing we're driving a car with a broke fuel pump. And we drive for two hours, pull into the house at home, 11 o'clock. I get out and I am excited. I'm telling mom and dad, I jump out of the car and say, praise God, mom and dad, we had a miracle from the Lord. I said, he pumped gas on this car for the last two hours. The fuel pump broke in Granbury, and I asked him to pump gas for me and let it run 50 miles an hour. And I said, mom, it's run 50 miles an hour downhill, uphill, round corners for two hours. And I said, I know God's pumped the gas. Well, finally, about 2 o'clock in the morning, we go to bed because I'm on a spiritual high. I can't sleep. I get up the next morning about 9 o'clock and go out there to fix this car. And when I go out there, I thought, gee, I parked it right in the driveway where the hot sun is. I'll pull it over under a shade tree. And guess what wouldn't run? That's right. My car would not fire a lick. I got out and took the air cleaner off and took the gas line out and looked down in that carburetor, and there is not one drop of gas in that carburetor. Not one. It's totally dry. So... I take the fuel pump off of it, drive Mom's car to Brownwood, get me a new fuel pump, bring it back and put it on there and crank it up, and it runs fine. I'm going to tell you, God will honor faith. So don't ask Him for just anything. Ask Him for what you want and then believe you've received it. You know, as a child of the King, don't just take any old job. Ask Him for what you want and then praise Him and thank Him for it. Right, Carolyn? Yeah. Tell Him you want a good job and then be patient. And wait on the Lord. That's just like one night when my wife decided that that little Toyota we had, she decided with two kids we needed a station wagon. Well, I only had $2,000 cash that time, and I said, well, let's go to the Lord. So we went to the Father, and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to provide us with a nice station wagon. I want a good one. I want a six-cylinder. I want a standard shift. I want it to have new tires on it. I want it to have low mileage on it so we can go a long ways. But, Lord, I only got $2,000. You know, that's all, I, that's all I have. But I need to be able to buy that car and pay cash for it. I said, so, Father, I know you know where that car is at, so thank you for the car. It's done because it's written in the Word. So I began to look at the papers. My wife would look at the papers. And I'd, I'd stop by car lots and look, and I didn't find nothing. Nothing that was what I thought it was needed to be. Not a thing. Three months come and go. How, how, many, how often do you need to remember that you have to be patient and wait on God, right? You don't always do it right then. See, now, that's, we're, we're microwave mentality. We're not willing to wait on God. But when you wait on God, three months later, we come home to church one Sunday night. My wife said, Honey, look here. I'm looking in the paper. Here is a, a Dodge station wagon, six-cylinder, standard shift, air-conditioned with low mileage and new tires. I said, That's exactly what I ordered. I said, Let's go look at it. So it didn't have a price on it. We tried to call and couldn't get nobody. So we thought, they give an address, so we drove up to Denton to where the car was. We pulled in there probably 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night after church on Sunday night, knocked on the door, and the guy come to the door, and I said, this your car you got for sale? He said, that's right. I said, what do you want for it? He said, $1,800. I said, man, that sounds just exactly what I want. I said, can we drive it? He said, sure, here's the key. Take it around the block or whatever. So my wife and I went out and got in it, cranked it up, looked like a new one, you know, really did. We drove it around the block. It run perfect. Everything looked good. I mean, it was a great little car. I went back and told him, I said, that's what I want. 
We gave him a check for $1,800, went down and transferred the title, and I had a few dollars left over. We drove that car. It had about 50,000 miles on it. I drove that car to about 160,000 miles and never had one minute's trouble with that car. Not one minute, you know. And then I finally traded it in and got me something else. So you don't ever do anything without asking God. And when you ask Him, you worship Him, you praise Him, and you thank Him for your answer, and it's done, right? Amen. Woo, I got an amen corner back there. I mean, when you take a... You take a beautiful woman like that that's got a pinch nerve, it's gone. It's easier for her to say, Amen, praise the Lord. <laughs> Isn't it? Amen, praise the Lord. I love it. Now then, what man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Then look what you've got to do to make that happen. Now, this is the thing. I think every man technically desires life and loveth many days or long life that he may see good. Wouldn't you think? Most of us should desire that. But in verse 13, look what he says the requirements are. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. But, Lord, you don't understand what he did to me. I don't care what he did to me. You can't speak evil about that guy if you want to live to be an old man. But, Lord, I'm going to speak evil about him anyway. He said, fine, that's okay. Instead of living to be 90, you can live to be 70 if you want to. Okay, but Lord, there's another guy did something too. Okay, if you want to die at 50 or 45, that's okay. Just keep talking evil about him. Every time you do it, you're shortening your life. No, 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 that can't be, Lord. No, that's what I said. And if we really believe this book, you think it would change what comes out of our mouth? It would really change us, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, when we get mad at somebody, how many of us as Christians have been home and sat down and, and to read your wife the right act about some guy or some woman that done you dirty today? I know none of y'all ever done that besides me. So what's the Lord trying to tell us? Don't speak evil about people, right? Let praise, let good things come out of your mouth. That way your days will be long. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Uh-oh, there's another requirement for long life. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You don't really think he means all this stuff, do you, brother? You really think he means all this stuff? He does. He's a boss, huh? <laughs> I mean, but me and God got a special deal. You know, I mean, you know, how many times have you heard people say that? I don't have to go to church and I don't have to do that because me and God's got a deal. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what the deal is. It is right here in this book. I'm going to tell you there ain't but one deal that God made it. Now, if you want to live a long life and have good days, you're going to do it his way, or you ain't going to live a long life and have good days because you're going to open the door to the demonic world. And they're going to come get you, and you ain't going to like the results. And that's what's bad. When he says, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it, because the eye, on verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. Now, how many of you, when you've... When we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, will you please heal this precious little daughter of yours? How many of us want him to hear us? Me and you both. That's right. Now then, if, if me and you both are walking evil, just what does he say he don't do? He don't hear that plea, right? Does it pay good dividends to walk in obedience to the Word of God? Sure it does. I mean, it, so we, when we read the book, we need to read it word for word, line by line. 
and think about what he's trying to tell us. It says in verse 16, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Woo, that's kind of scary, isn't it? If you do evil, what is he going to do to you? He's going to cut you off, and then nobody's even going to remember you. So if there were, just think of the people today that you and I know that are out there in the workplace where we work that are living in that realm of evil, and we have never been an example to them of Christ. We have never told them about Jesus because it's not politically correct. You can't talk to anybody about Jesus in the workplace. The world says, well, who are you going to obey? God or the world? Well, if you obey God, then you're going to have to tell people in your workplace about Jesus. But it might cost me my job. Well, look, I don't work for that company anyway. I'm working for Jesus. And if I'm working for Jesus and I'm doing what he's saying, I'm going to tell you the CEO of that company can't fire me until God says okay. I went to New York with a CEO of our company, big company, several years ago, and he wanted me because I'm a very well-trained engineer, and he wanted me to go up and look up some buildings. And we went up and looked at it, and he said, I got this job done up here, and I want you to go look at it and see what you think. I went up and looked at it, and he said, what do you think? I said, you got a lousy job. I said, you should have had an engineer on site. He said, you want to come up here and fix this for me? I said, no, I'm not going to come up here and fix this for you. I said, if you want it done right, you should have let me done it in the beginning, but I'm not going to come down and fix it for you. He said, you want to work for this company? I said, I don't work for this company. He said, what do you mean? I said, this company pays my salary, but I work for Jesus. He's my king. And I said, I serve the king. He said, you know I could fire you? I said, there ain't no way you can fire me. I said, you may be the CEO of this company, but I guarantee you can't fire me until Jesus says I can go. There ain't no way it can come out of your mouth that I'm terminated because I work for Jesus Christ and he's my king. So guess what? I'm still there. That's been four or five years ago. People say, how do you be so bold with the word? I know the king. That's all I can say. I know the king. I know the king. And he's an awesome king, isn't he, young lady? Indeed, he's an awesome king. He's an awesome king. Now then, the righteous cry in verse 17, And the Lord heareth and deliver them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Awesome, isn't it? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Hey, is that us? So guess who's after us? The devil. Yeah, he's after us. So get used to it. You're in a war. You're a, you're a warrior. So just get put on your armament every morning. Get up and put on the full armor of God and get out there and take your sword and start cutting asunder the devil because he's going to be out there. And guess who, guess who the devil's going to attack you through most of the time? People. People. Even some of them will be your brothers and sisters in Christ. They'll speak right out of their mouth. Of course, some of those people that say that is not your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're going to church with you, but they're not your brothers and sisters in Christ. The devil sends his own people as angels of light right in amongst the church to deceive us, to cause us to do things that are wrong. Wow, then they are doing a good job. In verse 20 says, He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Now then, if you walk holy before the king, 
if you walk in complete perfection before the Lord, what cannot happen to your bones? You can't never get one broken. If you claim that by faith, you'll never have a broke bone. But you've got to know this. You've got to know it and you've got to walk in it. You've got to claim the promises. What if you don't know the promises? Then you can get a broke bone. What if you don't know that God heals you on the cross? You can have a pinched nerve in your back, right? I, can't, I, can't, I hate to keep putting this back, but you know, your story is so good. You know that you're, you're such a precious, beautiful Christian woman that knew the Word of God, and yet let the devil do this to you all this time. And then when you finally believe God and receive what was already yours, man, he just heals you. Isn't he awesome? He's awesome. I praise him and worship him. Yes, praise the Lord. Then it says, Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. Now, who's going to slay the wicked? Evil. Who is that? The devil, Satan and his demons. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. None of us. That includes you and me. Every one of us. Now then, I want you to go from here, uh, after we went to Psalms 34, I want you to go to Psalm 148. Psalms 148, I want to go there. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. From the heavens, praise him in the heights. You think he wants us to praise him? You really think the Lord really loves for his children to praise him? Let me just ask you this question. You being a man or a woman, if you're mate or your boss or where you work or whatever, if you were to walk in your workplace and your boss was to tell you, man, I checked that job you did yesterday and it was awesome. You did a beautiful job on it and done it right in front of everybody. How's that make you feel? Wonderful. Then if God made you and me in his image, what do you think he likes when we praise him all the time? You know what he does? He's just waiting for you to ask him to do something. And when you ask him to do something, he says, wow, I've been waiting for you to ask. Of all that worship and praise you're doing, the worship and praise, he said, just back up now and see my glory. And you get to see it happen. You get to see the Lord do great and mighty things. Right, J.C.? Great and mighty things. I think about a story I heard a missionary tell one time. She was down in Africa. She came down with a terminal illness. And she was mumbling and grumbling and complaining as she started getting sick, and she got worse and worse and worse. And she got worse until she was laying in this little hut, and they didn't expect her to live through the night. And so she come to the Lord in serious prayer when she thought she wasn't going to live through the night. She said, Lord, why is it I am dying? And he showed her a balance scale. One side was her request and her grumbling, and it was very full. And the other side was praise, and it was empty. It was way up high. 
And he spoke to her and said, When your praise exceeds your grumbling and your request, you will be healed. So she could just barely talk. And she said, I praise you. I praise you. I worship you. And she said that for a couple of hours with no change. And then finally she could say it, I praise you. I worship you. And by middle of the night, I praise you, Father. I worship you, Lord. And the rest of the people there in that little area thought she was hysterical. But the next morning, she was screaming so loud they could hear her all over the village. And about 8 or 9 o'clock that morning, she come walking out the door totally well. All she did for 12 or 14 hours was worship and praise the Lord. I'm going to tell you the devil is allergic to worship and praise. When you start worshiping and praising the king, he can't stay, can he? He goes away. What did we not understand about Isaiah 61? I believe it's verse 4. Isaiah 61, 4. I believe that's the right place. It says, The spirit of praise drives away the spirit of heaviness. You've read that too, have you, brother? That's, that's over there. Now, Isaiah 61. It's either verse 3 or 4. I think it's in verse 4. Isaiah 61, 4. That's right. So if you start sensing the spirit of heaviness begin to come upon your house or upon your physical body, what is the best thing you can start doing? Praising the Lord. When you start praising the Lord, Worshipping Him and praising Him, what's going to happen to that spirit of heaviness or depression that's crept upon you? It's going to go away, isn't it? Because the Word of God says it will. Isn't that amazing? So praise Him. But how many people go along grumbling and complaining? You know, just like this brother here and Walter, we were talking a while ago before church started about grumbling and complaining. And I said, you know, when I, when I locked on 1 Corinthians chapter 10... When I read that one day and locked onto that, when I found what happened, he said, Now, these things that are written here are examples. These things that happened in the Old Testament are examples for us so we don't go down that trail. He says, and begins to tell what they did and how they grumbled and the destroyer came and killed them. Mm-hmm. Hey, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I want to do that, do you? Grumbling and complaining and the snakes come and bit them. Those are examples for you and me. Hey, I ain't going to never grumble again. Are you really? No. no, absolutely not. I ain't never going to grumble and complain again. Never, ever. I, but when you worship and praise, if you, want the, if you want that house and you want that horse, you worship and praise. You worship and praise. You thank the Lord. You start thanking Him. I'm going to tell you how mine came into existence. Many years ago when I was in college and I've done in my uh, uh, drafting class, architectural class, I designed and built a 1,600-square-foot house. That was as big as I could imagine back in those days. I mean, that being raised up in a little tiny house, I was raised up in 1,600 square feet. was a mansion, let me tell you. So that's as all my dreams. That's as high as my faith would go. But I built this, done all the elevations and everything. This was my project for drafting class. And so I thought, well, I'll design and build the one I want to build for myself, so I'll have all that done. Well, as the years went by... And my faith began to change, and my wife and I began to change in faith as I began to 
get different faith. And she said, well, on the house, I think we'd like to add another room here or make a game room bigger here or do this and that. And so I went back to the drafting board and started redesigning the house. When I, and I told the Lord, I said, the Lord, I want this be, I want five acres of land in this house built and paid for the time I'm 50 years old. And I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. So I said that over and over and over. What did the Lord say you could have? Whatever you say. I said, you've got to be patient. Because ten years went by. Now, that's the part most of us don't like. Ten years went by, and as I worshipped and praised the Lord and thanked him, he gave me a piece of land one day. It wasn't easy to get, but I finally got this piece of land. But when he gave me a piece of land, it totally wound up to be 97 acres instead of five. I wanted. I, I thought, man, this is awesome. And then he gave me a big, beautiful shop out there. This shop, of course, I built it all myself. It's 40 feet wide and 110 foot long. A nice workshop. And then the house, we built our original house, which was the first portion of it. I built it in two phases. I built the first part so we could move into it. So I built a house with a little kitchen, a bathroom, a little bitty den, and two bedrooms and two little bitty bedrooms in the attic, you know, for the two kids. So we had room for all of us. But I continued to worship and praise the Lord and go and serve the Lord and thank Him for this house. Well, our, our dreams continued to change. So by the time we got started on the major house, we'd gone it up pretty good size. When my wife and I got that house built in 1992, and we never borrowed a penny to build that house, I had dreamed about that house. I had spoken that house into existence. I had praised and worshipped the Lord for this house. In 1992, when we moved into that house, that house was 5,000 square feet, two floors. The game room upstairs is 1,000 square feet, and I never borrowed a penny to build it. It's totally paid for. Now then, took 10 years. Be patient. But just think, in 1992, which is 10 years ago, my wife and daughter and all got to live in that house and enjoy it. No payments. No payments. Never borrowed a penny. Nothing. I put money in investments, and every time I'd put money in investments, I'd say, Lord, I've given you more than my 10%, but then I'm taking this other and I'm putting this in investments, and you said if I'll do everything you say, you will give me the desires of my heart. And so, Lord, my desire originally was five acres and 1,600 square feet. Since I was obedient and did everything you told me to do, man, 97 acres and 5,000 square feet, totally paid for the time I was 50, would you say he met my desire? Whoa, did he ever? I mean, it's wonderful to have all that. And, and have it paid for. Well, people say, well, yeah, but, you, you know, you sound like you're flaunting that. I'm just telling you, God's good. You know, he'll, he'll, do, he'll meet you wherever your faith is. I mean, I mean, if you're obedient and serve him, that's the thing. Be obedient and serve him and begin to say what you want. See, he's a faith God. Now, if I just said, oh, God, I know I'm such underprivileged and poor and wretched guy, and, and I know you probably don't ever want me to have nothing because you said you became poor so that... You know, I said, Lord, so I guess I'll have to be a poor Christian. I guess I'll have to live on a, a two or $300 a week job the rest of my life. Uh, Lord, I, I'm, you know, and I'll have to drive an old junker car and all this kind of stuff. Lord, I guess that's all I can grieve you for. Guess what? That's what I'll have. That's what I'll have. But now if you, if you can envision your God is a big God. Your God is a God that will meet all of your needs and even beyond. He's a God that can heal your body. He's the guy that can raise your mother-in-law from the dead. Yeah. You know. 
He's a, he's a God that can do anything you can believe Him for. It's amazing, you know. And the reason I said it, of course, Carolyn and J.C.'s mother-in-law just a few weeks ago, was they told, said she probably won't live through the day Friday. But he went up there and prayed for her and believed God, and next Friday she's out shopping with him. Isn't that awesome? you got to believe God. I mean, you could have a pinched nerve in your back, and God will let you have it. But whenever you believe Him, you know, and praise Him and worship Him for the answer, boy, He does something supernatural, and the pinched nerve goes away. And you ain't got to put up with the pain. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the no pain and the no pinched nerve is a whole lot better than the pinched nerve. <laughs> You'll agree, too, right? Hey, this girl can say amen. You know, I was thinking this morning as I was standing there, me and the pastor, he was way over in another area, but he even had his hands up about this high. You know, he had his hands up about that high. I got mine way up yonder. I'm worshiping the Lord. It's easy for me to praise the Lord. Why is it easy for me to praise the Lord? Because he's answered so many of my requests. It's easy to praise and worship the king. So when you praise and worship the king, he's just waiting for you to ask him to do something, and he'll do it. Don't grumble. It has serious consequences. It shortens your life. So whatever you do, worship and praise the Lord. So praise the Lord in, in Psalms 148. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Praise ye him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye stars of light. Good grief. I mean, he don't just want me and you to praise him, does he? He wants the angelic host to praise him. He wants to, he, he expects the sun and the moon to bow down to him. I mean, you think he designed this whole cosmos with praise in, in, in mind? So if he created the cosmos with praise in mind, that the sun would praise him. I mean, that's, that's the sun that we're looking at out there. The moon and the stars. He knows them all by name and calls them by name. And they worship him and praise him. My goodness gracious. If he designed the entire cosmos for praise and worship, then think what he must plan for you and me to do as his kids. Praise him and worship him. He's trying to tell us something. So when we really begin to worship and praise the king, he'll do anything for us. That's how much he loves us. But he expects us to worship him and praise him. And Paul told us over there, he says, And praise the Lord for all things. Now, wait a minute, Thurman. When my daughter or my son gets beat up on here, I mean, Lord, don't you know my wife just got killed in a car wreck and my daughter got killed in a car wreck and you think I'm going to praise you for that? Well, let me tell you, when you walk in that room where your grandbabies are and they're expected to die, if you ain't praising them, I guarantee you're going to lose them all. You're going to lose them all. But when you walk in that hospital room saying, Lord, I praise you. I thank you for the 41 and a half years you give me that beautiful wife. And I thank you for the 24 years you give me that beautiful daughter. And I thank you, Lord, for this little three-year-old. She, she left me right here. And I praise you and I worship you. And your word says for me to worship you. And you said that nothing's impossible with you, Lord. So, Father, on behalf of your word, as I worship you and praise you, I ask you to raise these two babies up. These doctors tell me you ain't going to live through the night. And I ask you to make them perfectly well and normal and let them run and play again in the name of Jesus. And I want to worship you and praise you. And for the next ten hours, stand beside those little girls' bed and worship and praise the king. And now it don't take no faith as they both run and play. What happens when you worship and praise? It raises the dead. 
I mean, you know, when you walk into a hospital room and they tell you your grandbaby's got her brain severed, the brain's loose in her head, ain't nothing attached to it. Her skull's crushed in five places, her right leg's crushed in, her le- in the knee, and her left leg's broken two places and serious internal injuries, and her face looks like it's been run through a meat grinder, and her brain pressure's 20, which is not critical. It's critical, critical, and she's going to die any second. And you can walk in there and say, oh, no. Well, I got a book here that's made me promises. And I'm in covenant with the king. He told me if I could ask him anything I want, and he will do it. So you think I'm going to ask him to let that little baby die? No, Lord, I worship you and praise you. You made me the promise. So I'm asking you, Father, in the name of Jesus, to give me those two girls back and do it so supernaturally that it will bring such glory and honor to your name. Everybody will know you've done it. And boy, did he ever. Did he ever. I mean, he raised up those two little girls, and not only those little two, but I'm telling you, he let me walk through that hospital and clean out Cook's Medical and ICU over the next four weeks. I mean, he cleaned that place out. He done such many miracles. People were coming, talking to me about Jesus. It was amazing. I had to lead people to Jesus. And the clergy come against me and threatened to lock me up in prison, literally. I mean, you couldn't believe the chaplains would come to you and call you out of a room. You're in there praying for, getting ready to pray for a four-year-old that's supposed to die that night. And some guy comes in and says, can I see you outside? I don't know who this guy is. I thought he was with a family. I come outside and he said, you can't do that in there. I said, what do you mean I can't do that in there? I'm just talking to that lady about getting her baby healed. He said, I know, I heard you. In this hospital, you can't do that. I said, who are you? He said, I'm the chaplain. I said, well, good grief. You and me ought to go back in there together and, let, and get that baby healed. He said, no, in this hospital, you don't do that. I said, sir, you can't be kidding. I I'm, I'm, can't be serious. I'm going back in there and pray for that baby. He said, you go back in there and I'll have the guard, armed guards come in bodily, escort you out of this hospital, and you will, I'll bar you, and we'll file a warrant for your arrest, and you'll not even be back in this hospital even to see your granddaughter. I said, you can't be serious. He said, I'm very serious. So I left. I didn't want to create a scene, so I left, went back to my granddaughter's room, and that night that four-year-old died. That's the only one I lost. But the first third, that's Wednesday night, Friday morning, as I go in to pray for another little guy, I walked right in the front door of Cook's, went straight to the elevator, up to the fourth floor, straight down the room where he was. I knew exactly where I was going, walked in his room. I'd been in there about ten minutes when another guy in a suit walks in. He said, I need to see you outside. I said, sir, when I get through with this boy, I'll come outside. I don't know who you are. Until I get through, I'm not coming. I said, now you wait on me outside. I said, I'm a minister of the gospel. I'm here at the request of this mother. And I said, you go outside, and I'll see you when I get through. So when I got through, I walked out there. There stood a man with an armed guard. He said, I need to see you upstairs in my office. I said, who are you? He said, I'm the head chaplain in Cook's Medical Center. I said, I hadn't done anything wrong. He said, I suggest you go upstairs with me. I said, okay. I'll not give you all any grounds to arrest me. I said, so okay. He went upstairs in his office and closed the door. He said, you can't do what you're doing in this hospital. You're evangelizing in this hospital. I said, sir, I'm not evangelizing in this hospital. All I'm doing is to request the people that come ask me. I'm praying for their babies. He said, you can't do it anymore. I said, sir, I'm going to do it. He said, you pray for one more person in this hospital, and I will have you locked up. I will file a warrant for your arrest, and we will have you locked up, and you will be barred from Cook's Medical Center forever. And I said, and you're supposed to be the head chaplain here? 
He said, yes. I said, what is your God's name? He said, Jehovah. I said, but is his son's name Jesus? He said, that's none of your business. I said, now I know exactly who I'm dealing with, the devil. Exactly who I'm dealing with, the same demons that was in the Pharisees and the Sadducees 2,000 years ago when Peter and John raised up a cripple and they told him they could not speak in the name of Jesus. I realize now I've got these same demons. I said, give me your name. Give me your card. Write down this guy's name and his badge number and everything. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm a friend of Jay Seculo, and you're going to be in for a battle. Not only are we going to take you to court, but I said, you've come against a man that's a man of God, and you got a tiger by the tail, mister, and you ain't going to, you're going to want to turn me loose before you get through. He said, you ain't going to pray for nobody else in this hospital. I said, you watch me. And I walked out of that hospital room, walked right down the corridor, and a lady met me, and she said, would you come in here and pray for my baby? I said, I sure will. I walked in there and prayed for that baby. That is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sunday I went talked to another man of God about this. He said, well, let's you and me pray about this. So we did. He said, Lord, I ask you to do something. I don't know what to do. But this man told me, he's a, he's a doctor of theology. He said, Thurman, I've been to Cook's Medical many times and prayed for people, and I've never had anybody say anything to me. I said, but did you ever walk through there and get somebody healed? He said, well, no, I guess I didn't ever see any direct answers to my prayer. I said, that's why. I said, I'm seeing the Lord do mighty things, and the devil's raised his ugly head, and he don't want me in that place. So next morning I go to work. I go to work for the first time in two weeks. My telephone rings about 9 o'clock. A young man says, Herman, this is Eric. I want to know if you have any more work to do. I've been trying to get a hold of you for a week and couldn't get you. I said, Eric, I've had a tragic situation in my life. My grandbaby's over in Cook's Medical in serious uh, shape. He said, oh, he said, if you need anything at Cook's, the head CEO of that hospital's in my Sunday school class. I said, he is? He said, yes, he is. He said, uh, I said, I have a problem. Let me tell you what happened. And he told me, he said, I find that hard to believe. I said, believe me, I found it hard to believe too until I realized who I was fighting against. He said, let me call him. So Mr. Tolman was his name. He called Mr. Tolman. Mr. Tolman got a hold of Miss Sarah Saylor over at Cook's Medical, which is head of uh, nurses or HR or whatever she's head of over there. Some of you all may know her. Precious lady, Christian lady. I went back over there that afternoon, and Miss Sarah Saylor came to Caitlin's room. She said, you must know somebody. I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And his name is Jesus. She said, well, you know somebody, because said Mr. Tolman, the head CEO of this hospital, called me and told me to write this paper up and give it to you. And in that paper, it says, I can pray for anybody, anywhere, anytime I want to in Cook's Medical Center. Isn't that awesome? And now then, I'm going to tell you something that will blow your socks off. Not only is Eric a Mormon, but Mr. Tolman is a Mormon. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing, isn't it? But I'm going to tell you that if you make the Most High God your master, he can move upon the hands of anybody. And I'm going to tell you that when you take his word, in fact, Miss Sarah Saylor, I'm going to say this, and it's going to be on this tape, and they're going to tell them who's going to hear this tape, wherever it's going to go. But Miss Sarah Saylor, after she came, she said, could I see you out in the hall? I said, certainly. So we walked out, and as we're walking out, she said, I didn't want to talk in Caitlin's room because I know they don't want, you know, much noise in the room. But we walked right out in the middle of the corridor where there's a, 
a big intersection where everybody's passing through. And she said, we have never seen as many miracles as we've seen in the last month in this hospital. She said, never have we seen this happen before. She said, I've had a problem with my hip for years. Would you mind praying for me? I said, you mean right here in the middle of the hospital in front of all these people walking by? She said, yes, you have approval. I said, certainly. I said, now then, Matthew 18, 19, I said, are you a born-again Christian? She said, I most definitely am. I said, do you go to church? She said, I do. I said, are you a tither? She said, yes, I am. I said, are you walking in love? She said, I most definitely am. I said, okay, good. I said, now then, I'm going to take a requirement, Matthew 18, 19, where our Savior said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father, which is in heaven. She said, man, that's an awesome promise. I said, you didn't know that? She said, no. I said, that's what's wrong with us. We don't know what God's Word says. But then when you know it, you've got to believe it, and you've got to act on it. So I said, now then, let me pray with you, and I'm going to ask the Heavenly Father on behalf of that promise to heal your hip. And I did. And I said, now, Lord, thank you. It's done. I said, do you agree with me? She said, I most definitely do. I said, good, you're healed. She said, well, let me walk off, and if it don't hurt, I'm healed. I said, no, you just sinned. She said, What? I said, you just sinned. You doubted. You didn't believe God. If you'd have believed Him, I said, you would have said, thank you, Lord, and, free, and praised Him and worshipped Him for the answer. Because the promise was, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it will be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Not maybe, not sometimes. It will be. You've got to believe Him. If you don't, it won't happen. Well, she said, I, I just guess I didn't realize it was that serious. I said, that's why people don't get anything from God. I said, now then tell him you're sorry you sinned. So she did. And we went through that scenario again. And then we thanked the Lord and praised him for his answer. I said, now then, ma'am, are you healed? She said, yes. I said, okay. What if you walk off and your hip still hurts just like it did by the time you get to your office? What are you going to say? I'm going to say, thank you, Lord, that I'm healed. I said, you got it. I guarantee it's a done deal, lady. It's a done deal. When you do that with God... What will he do? He'll heal you. Woo, I love it. I love it. But see, you've got to do it God's way. Oh, God's not that particular. He don't expect me to do it just exactly like he said. Let me tell you, he expects you to do it exactly his way. Right, J.C.? Amen. He expects you to do it exactly his way. And guess what? Since he's the boss, he's the one that holds the final okay, right? And if he don't say okay, you don't never get it. But if you do it exactly right, just like he says, then the answer is always yes. Now then, this is something this precious little lady right back here that's sitting back there by her mother and brother the other day, she heard me tell the story about my granddaughter and how I was stood standing on, whenever I asked the lady, whenever she said, but sometimes God says no to his promises. And I said, do you have a verse for that? And she said, well, no. I said, well, I have one in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that says no matter how many promises God made, the answer to every one of them is yes every time. Well, she told that to her piano teacher. And the piano teacher said, well, I have one. Oh, she said, you do? She said, yes. And she showed her where when David had begged and asked the Lord to heal his baby, and he didn't, and the daughter died, she said, see, God can say no. Well, it kind of devastated that little lady. 
So when I saw her the next time, I said, Honey, there's something you got to know. David was on that side of the cross. He was not in Christ. David, God was so upset at David because he had given David a house full of beautiful wives. And when David sinned with Bathsheba, God says, David, I can't believe you've done this. If you didn't have enough women, why didn't you come and ask me and I would have given you another one? Why did you have to go out and commit adultery with another man's wife? I've only given you a house full of beautiful women. Is that true? He had a house full of them. But he goes out and commits adultery and then kills the, the woman's husband. Now he's committed adultery and murder, and God was so upset. He said, David, you have given place to my enemy. And when the curse, which God had spoken himself, and there's no redemption for the curse until Christ comes, what could God do about that? Nothing. He was standing there saying, David, if you'd have just asked me, I'd have give you another woman if that's all you wanted. But why did you have to go out and commit adultery and then kill her husband? Now you've given place to my enemies, and the curse has come upon you and your house, and it shall be there forever, and there's no way I can stop it. But when you come on this side of the cross, praise God for Jesus. Right, brother? Praise God for Jesus. When we come on this side of the cross, Jesus redeemed us from the curse. And that promise says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, In Christ. If you're in Christ, the answer to every promise He made us as brothers, as sons and daughters of the King of the universe, the answer is yes to you and me every time. So if the answer is yes every time, why in the world do we have to have a pinched nerve? <laughs> you, don't mind if I, you don't mind if I do that to you? I'm trying to stress the point to these people. Since I've got a live miracle on my head right here tonight, a precious, beautiful woman that has been healed after having that problem. How long had you had that, honey? Since November. Isn't that amazing? We suffer with all this stuff, and here you had this Bible at home all the time. You did, and all you did was finally believe God. Repent of your unbelief and praise Him for your healing, and the problem is gone. It goes away. Isn't God good, Willie? He is awesome. I praise Him, and I worship Him, and I thank Him for all of His answers. Glory to God. Let's see where we are here. We've got just a few minutes left. Okay. We praise the name of the Lord. I let them, as he's talking about the... Uh, uh, the stars of light. Then in verse 4 it says, Praise Him, ye heavens of heavens, and ye waters that He above the heavens. I mean, the entire cosmos is praising the Lord, isn't it? You ever think about that? You know, you think about the entire heavens that He created. He created them to bring glory and honor and praise to His name. It's just amazing. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. What he commanded, and they were created. And he put that power in you and me. He made you and me in his image, but he limited our power to what? To the earth. That's why he said, again, I tell you that if two of you on earth shall agree, I tell you, on earth. So if, 
he made us of the earth and put us on earth and made us in his image, then that same creative power is in you and me. And if you want something to happen, all you've got to do is start saying what you want with no doubt in your heart. That's just like yesterday. There was a precious lady at the healing school yesterday that had cancer. She said, they've only given me three months to live. I went up to her and I told her, I said, honey, Mark 11, 23, we'll get this done for you. Mark 11, 23, the Lord tells us that I tell you the truth. If you believe in God with no doubt in your heart, you can speak to the mountain and command the mountain to be removed from you and cast into the sea if you don't doubt in your heart and you believe that what you say out of your mouth will happen, you will have whatsoever you say. Now, is that an awesome promise or is that an awesome promise? I told her, I said, to be healed from cancer, what you're going to have to do is like this. So I walked up to her, I put my hands on her head, and I said, Cancer, I curse you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you and I command you to die. And I command this cancer to come out of her. I command this cancer to go to the pit of hell where it come from. I demand it in Jesus' name. And I said, you do that over and over and over. And as a daughter of the king, when you do that, when you command that thing to leave you in the name of Jesus, every time you're knocking off a little chunk of that cancer, you're getting rid of it little by little. And... Uh, day before yesterday, Ruth Ann Range, her and her husband, Danny, they'd come to a healing school about 10, 12 months ago, I guess, and she had migraine headaches, she had lung cancer, and she had arthritis in both knees. She come to two healing schools, and we, the second one, her faith was mountain high. I rebuked all those things, commanded her migraine headaches to go. The Lord said, what, for, what am I supposed to do? Command the mountain to be removed and cast into the sea with no doubt in my heart. It's got to obey me in the name of Jesus. Then I commanded the lung cancer to go away, cursed it, demanded it leave her in Jesus' name, reached down, laid hands on her knees, and commanded that arthritis that come from the devil to leave this woman and go to the pit of hell and never come back and attack her again in Jesus' name. I said, now then... Do you believe you're healed? She said, it's written in the Word. I believe it's done. I said, okay, good. I said, now when you go, when a woman like you that's had that many attacks from the devil, probably you're going to have a counterattack from the enemy. I said, go home and you and your husband begin to praise and worship the Lord. I said, if the devil comes back with a counterattack, then I don't know what he may do, but he has no authority to do anything now except we've done everything exactly like the Scripture says, what he's going to try to do is to get you to doubt. Because if you doubt, you're healed. Guess what happens? You're not healed. You cannot receive something from God if you doubt him. Just the tiniest little bit, you cannot doubt. So that night, she felt great as they left the healing school. She told me she left. She said, man, I ain't felt this good in a long time. I said, but don't go by feelings. Don't, whatever you do, don't go by feeling. I said, go by what is written. Because I said, when you start going by feelings... That's where the devil operates. He's going to be right back in there, and you're going to be back where you are. So don't go by feelings. Go by it is written. The next month, they came back to the healing school again. She said, boy, I'm glad you taught me all them things. I said, what happened? She said, that night we got home. We got in bed. She said, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I felt something crawling under my skin. I could feel it. And she said, honey, something is wrong with my face. He looked at it and said, no, there's nothing wrong with your face. It's okay. 
She said, no, there's something happening under my skin. And about that time, the whole side of her face turned blood red. Her husband panicked. She said, no, wait a minute. This is what Thurman told us the devil was going to do to us. He's trying to get me to doubt. She said, you know he taught us in the Bible we had complete authority over the devil and we have power over him. So she said, let's begin to rebuke him and command him to leave in the name of Jesus. For 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, they rebuked that thing and commanded it to leave, and all of a sudden it disappeared. When it disappeared, she said, I felt it going across my chin. I felt it coming out, and I felt it swirling, and I said, it's fixing to come up over here. And she said, the side of my face turned blood red. They went through that for the next eight hours. That thing would go down, it would come up on her back. Then it would come over her shoulder and come up on her breast. Then it would go down to her stomach. Eight hours that woman and that man fought that battle. After eight hours of rebuking and commanding the devil to leave, the devil left. Friday night I got an email from her. She said, I thought about you and your healing school. We wish we could come. But she said, I do want to tell you. I want to give you the praise report. She said, not only have I been perfectly well ever since that night, but today I had went back to my doctor, and the doctor told me, said, Ruth Ann, I don't know what you're doing. But whatever you're doing, keep it up, said you're in perfect health. No migraine headaches, no arthritis in your knees, and no lung cancer in your lungs. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. Does the Word of God work, young lady? Yes, it works, doesn't it? I mean, do I love to get those kind of emails from people? It makes all the hours I spend staying up and making tapes and working and, and studying so I can come and stand before you and teach you these things, it makes it all worthwhile. And I expect to see a whole lot more of those, you know it? I feel like we just barely have touched. You know that, J.C.? I mean, when, all, when, we, when a group this size starts getting trained to believe God's Word, and you start learning how to pray, you know how to pray for somebody else now, right? And so when you start praying in faith, saying, look, your sister, your brother, who are you? Now, when we pray, God's Word made us a promise. We're going to believe Him with no doubt in our heart. Now, you're you going to believe me, right? And when you start doing that, and they say, whoa, you, you really mean business, don't you, girl? You say, well, if you want to get healed, then you're going to have to do it God's way. And when you pray for them, the next day they come back and tell you, whoa, I'm healed, praise God. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. But see, God made you the promise. And the most important thing I ever learned, besides worship and praise, is that he's a faith God. And if you don't do it exactly his way, it don't happen. I mean, we just think we can just do it any way we want to. We can just go to church once in a while when I want to. I can just read God's Word once in a while. Once every month or something will be okay. I mean, after all, today was a beautiful day. I mean, you know, I'd a whole lot rather been out the lake riding around, you know, instead of down here teaching all the Word of God. No, I hadn't really. I was just kidding. <laughs> but how many people do you know that would do that? I mean, gee, a beautiful day like today, and the fish are biting. You think I'm going to go to church today? And sure, I mean, i got to make payments on that new boat. You know, I mean, I, I and I get tickled. I'd done this at the healing school yesterday. And the guy's out on the lake, and he's got a cell phone. And all of a sudden, it's Sunday afternoon, and he's fishing. He's having a good time, and the fish are coming in, and he's just, oh, he's just happy. And the phone rings. He says, hello? Who? God? What is that, God? Why am I not in church? Uh, uh, well, Lord, I'm out here, and I, I had to use my new boat. What is that, Lord? How much tithe did I give? Well, Lord, I, I hadn't given any. He said, what is that, Lord? 
where I'm going. I ain't going to need this boat. There ain't no water. Maybe more of us need a telephone call like that, Rickett. Maybe more of us need a phone call like that. I'll tell you what, I don't know about I don't know about most of the church, but I think I hope everybody in this room plans to reign and rule with the king forever. You know, I <laughs> <laughs> Did you know one time I was in Brownwood, Texas, and I pulled up there to the boat dock. My wife and I had only been married a year or so, and I pulled up to a boat dock, and there was a guy that got a, a can of gasoline, and he had run the uh, can, gas can over, and gasoline ran all over the can, and he shut the pump off and, and hung the deal back up and put the nozzle on and tucked the gant and started across and drug the top of that steel can right across the top of the battery. I saw sparks fly. And the minute I did, guess what? That can, all over the outside, it was on fire. The guy didn't have the lid on it very good. And so it started burning in the tank. I mean, right, right at the top. Of course, it's full, running over, so it was just a little bitty flame. Now, out of his lack of knowledge, all he had to do was take the the cap and put it on there and turn it one time and the flames out it's impossible for that can to blow up with that thing full of liquid gasoline but he panicked and guess what he did with a can of gas threw it in the lake and guess what began to happen guess what that gasoline did it came out of that can and guess what's heavier than gasoline water so guess where the gasoline went to the top and guess what began to happen all over fire the dock began to catch on fire. His boat began to catch on fire. That boat, I sat right there and watched that boat sink in the water as it, d it dissolved. And I saw those fiberglass boats right down through there begin to go down through there. I run around. Well, I, my wife and I had come up there to go out boating with a friend of mine. We got there way early just to kind of look around that afternoon. I ran around to the other end of the dock, jumped in the water, took a big hammer with me, swam out there. I knew where my friend's boat was. I beat that chain deal where it had it fastened on there and pushed his boat out in the water, and then I started pushing everybody else's boat out I could, and I probably pushed 20 or 30 boats out of there. And I'm telling you, the fire department got there that afternoon. When they finally got there, their pump truck would not work. They could not get it to pick up water, and every boat there burned except the ones I pushed out. My friend's boat didn't burn. Everybody else's did. You know what? We're, we're pretty dumb, you know it? We really are. Lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. That guy, all he had to do was take the cap and put it on that can of gasoline, and it would have went out. But he didn't know that. Lack of knowledge. So if lack of knowledge burned a boat dock down and a hot fire and burned all them boats up, Guess what will happen to you if you don't have the knowledge that Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross to save you? You'll burn in hell forever. I mean, hell is a real place, folks. It's, we're here today praising God for healing a precious, beautiful woman's back. You know, we're here praising Him for a lot, many other things. A lot of you have received. Many of you have received wonderful things from the Lord. But we're here praising Him. But let me tell you, there's a hell out there, too. And it's real. And the only way you can get these mighty things from God is become his son or his daughter. And you have to do that through the precious blood of Jesus. Now then, 
Is there anybody here today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? If there's anybody that does not know Jesus, if you'd like to make Jesus your Lord, I would ask you to hold up your hand. Is there anybody here that does not know Jesus? Okay, everybody knows Jesus. Praise God. I am thankful for that. I'm thankful that we know him. I just felt led right there to say that. I guess the reason I did, because it's 4 o'clock. That's a good place to stop, right there. So, the thing that you need to learn out of the Psalms is to worship and praise him continuously, every day, for all things. You mean i got to praise him for the bad? If you want to get some more good, you're going to have to praise him. Through it all. It's hard to praise him walking through the fire, right? But I'm going to tell you, the Hebrew children praised him, and they walked through the fire, didn't they? So that literally you can walk through the fire with God if you'll praise him and worship him. Praise the Lord Jesus. This has been a great day, and I praise the Lord for all of y'all that have been here today.